Belong, Become, Believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for August 14th, 2022 is called Discovering Grace, Believe. The speaker is John Ray, and it was recorded at Vesper Point on Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, good morning again. My name is John Ray. Welcome to Grace Church. If you're watching on the Facebook or listening on the podcast, we're really glad that you're with us this morning. So how many are starting school or teaching school? All right. Yes, lots. So crazy thing. Um, In the last few weeks, I was approached about teaching courses at um, John Brown University this fall. So I am going to be teaching Old Testament survey at JBU, which I've never taught before. Um, Love the Old Testament. Um, Excited about it. It keeps me fresh. It keeps me involved with uh, academia in ways that really refresh, I think, and bring value to this. But it's overwhelming. Can you imagine trying to condense the entire Old Testament into a one-semester, three-hour course? Yeah, exactly. Good luck, right? It's like, it's just, it's impossible to do. And I feel that way a little bit about what we're talking about here this morning. So every year about this time, we take time and we go through our ethos what it means to belong, what it means to become, what it means to believe. And if you weren't here last week and heard uh, Jennifer teach on fermentation and the what it is like to become within our context, go listen to the podcast. It was just fantastic with that. Um, so, so I'm tasked this morning with what do we believe? And if teaching the Old Testament within one semester is difficult, I I don't even know where to start with this one. So what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about why we use the creed this morning as the basis for what we believe with that. And we're going to hopefully do it in a way that approaches this and makes it accessible but also invites you to study more, invites you to look into it more. Because what we're not going to do this morning is put up parameters. What we're not going to do this morning is so narrowly define something that you're either in or you're out, that it's black or it's white. What we're going to do is invite you to approach this through the creed with that. It's kind of the same things like what I want to do with the students in the Old Testament class is I I understand when they leave that class, the Old Testament is still going to be in their Bible. They're going to walk out of that class and still have access to that. So I don't have to teach every single thing in there. But what I hope to do is inspire them to give them tools, to give them a way to an approach. And then when they leave, maybe they have more questions and answers, which I think is fantastic. But at least they will have an appreciation and an approach with that. And that's kind of what the creed does for us. So I want to give you a little bit of history here. Um, If you were going to start a church, 
a non-denominational Protestant church, which is what we are. If you're going to start a church in modern 21st century America, where we are, you will spend a lot of time developing a website. And on that website, you will have an about us or a what we believe page. Anybody ever looked at one of those? For most American Protestant non-denominational churches, you will get a long scroll on that page. And you'll have statements, and then it'll be followed by a whole lot of verses, references to verses with that, when you look at that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the approach is often, hey, let's just put out there all these things that kind of identify us or classify us. But if you think, the crazy thing is, if you think those pages are long, wait till you get into mainline denominations. Mainline denominations, they can't even put it all on a web page. They have books, right? They have books that they've written about what they believe and what defines them. And that's the mainline. And then if you get into Catholicism and Orthodoxy, you have libraries (laughs) that define these things with this. And we used to have one of those pages. Grace Church, we used to have one of those pages that went through all these things. But what we found was it was actually creating more confusion than it was clarity. That the more minutely we tried to describe things, it was like it was like a hydra. Like it would it would then sprout new questions, and we'd go answer those questions, and those would sprout new questions, and we'd keep going. And so at one point in our history, we decided, look, what, what, is the, what is the thing, what is the baseline, what is the kind of the kernel of the seed that we can adhere to, that we can proclaim, that we can with all integrity say, yeah, here's where we stand and everything else is practice. Because that's how we describe our life at Grace Church, is that we believe things, but if you really want to know who we are, If you really want to know what we believe, watch what we do. Watch our practice with that. And that's a tremendous accountability for us, as well as a way of communicating. Is it, it, do we say what we, are we acting with what we say we believe with that? And we believe that that's a good and healthy thing. And so what we decided on is we said, look, We don't have to reinvent the wheel. The Nicene Creed has been used for over 1,600 years as a, it's not the, but as a profession of orthodoxy, of Christian orthodoxy. It is not the same as the Bible. Okay, we don't believe it's infallible. We don't even necessarily believe it. It's inspired in the same way that the Bible is inspired. But what it does is it gives us a, it gives us a good starting point, and we believe that it does three things. Is that when we start with the, the creed like this, it serves as an anchor. It serves as an invitation. And it gives us a guide, a guardrail with that. So I want to look at each of these things. Um, how does this serve as an anchor? Those of you who have listened to me long enough know that I, I kind of think everything metaphorically as being a guide outside where we go. 
And I think about the image of climbing. If you're rock climbing, how it's both dynamic and static. That as you're climbing, you want to have the freedom to move around to find the right handholds, the right approach, the right routes to take you up. But at the same time, you need to be anchored in in case something happens. In case your hand slips, your foot slips, something happens with that. And what the creed does is it gives us just enough security. It gives us just enough connection where we are then free to find our route. We're free to explore the rock. And the thing about it is the, the more firm our anchor that we're roped into, the more freedom we have to search, to try things. Because we know that that anchor is going to hold us with this. And again, as a, as a church that puts a high value on practicing things, we're going to make mistakes. I just want to let that sink in for a minute. I am going to make mistakes. I am going to teach things that are wrong. We as a church are going to have practices that we may ultimately decide those are not healthy or helpful or sustainable. And we'll change. And I will change. If you're looking for me or this church or anything to be perfect, to always say the exact right thing, to always teach the exact right thing, to always do the right thing, you're going to be disappointed. We've never been able to do that. We're not doing it now, and we will not do it in the future. But we have a confidence in this anchor. We have a confidence that even when we slip up, mess up, screw up, we are going to be held by this confession that leads us towards a greater reality. Because the confession itself is not the reality. The confession itself is what leads us to the reality of that. So what the creed does is it anchors us. <clears throat> it's also, like with any anchor, it's not exhaustive. I think we could really quickly figure out there's a lot of stuff that the creed leaves out. There are a lot of things that Christians hold to be of first importance. In, in theology, you talk about first order, second order, third order issues. That of there are things here that some people would, would argue are first order issues that are not addressed in the creed. It's not exhaustive, but it is enough. It's sufficient. So it, it serves as this anchor. The second thing is, is that it is an invitation. It is an invitation to consider what it is you believe. Now we're going to do a little thing here. I'm going to get y'all talking among each other. I want to ask you this question. What is something that at one point in your life you believe to be absolutely true. And now you, you don't believe that to be true. Something, it may be something you misunderstood. It may be something that somebody told you and you believed, and you said, yes, I believe this, and then later on you, you're like, hey, what that person told me wasn't true. And I'm going to go first. So... For a good portion growing up, I believe that pedestrians were a denomination. 
I can remember as I was learning to read and learning about things, I would see pedestrian crossings, and I was like, well, where are the Baptist crossings? Like, where are the Presbyterian crossings? Like, why did the pedestrians get their own crossing? And I believed that that was a, that that was a denomination. So, anyway, that's my confession. I just want you to get two or three people over here, just for a minute. Talk among yourselves real quick. What is something that you believed at one point that was true, and now you don't? So. All right, so what are, what are some of the things? What are some of the best ones? I, um, I'm going to call out Justin here. Justin, who is married to our fermentation uh, specialist, actually thought that pickles grew on a bush. Like that, that they just, like that, like that was their own plant that they, they grew. So, I, let, I heard Alex saying LOL is lots of love with that. Ah, yes. <laughs> I taught him that. Way more Spanish than I do, but I taught him that. And Ebenezer was an elbow. So here I raise my Ebenezer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> these are great, right? And and I loved even Jennifer made the comment, you know, as a scientist, like her job is to be proved wrong. Her job is constantly to be evaluating and to find out what is wrong. And, and I think that uh, that's one of the invitations the creed gives us. It gives us the invitation to test it out. It's durable. That's what, I want, that's what I want us to understand is that this creed, it has withstood 1,600 years of testing. It is durable in its nature, but it's not static. It's going to pass away. Someday, they may come up with a revised version of this. We don't know. We're not putting our faith in the creed. What we're doing is accepting the creed to do what it is designed to do, which is to give us this anchor. It's give us this invitation, this, this invitation to explore, to ask the question, what's left out? Why does it say what it does? Why is what is included included in it with that? What do I really believe about these things? How do my actions and beliefs line up with this thing? Not in a test-taking way, but in an examination way. It's this invitation to do this. It's also an invitation into community. Here's one of the things that, I, that I've grown to appreciate more and more as I get older, is that Christianity is a communal commitment. I grew up in a, in a faith that was presented to me as kind of a me and Jesus thing. It was just, I didn't need anybody else. I didn't need, all I needed was the Bible and Jesus with that. And while I do believe that, that our faith is personal, it's never private. Our faith is not private. We don't have like a little boutique, shade-grown, organic faith. You know, with just our little circle. No, we're called into this community of saints that has existed for thousands of years. Will exist how much longer, we don't know. But into the future, 
And that spans generations, ethnicities, races, government, socioeconomic position. All of these things are, are transcended by our faith. And we're invited into that community. When we recite the creed here today, we are doing that with generations that have recited it in so many different languages. Along with, we are going to recite it with conservatively millions of people who will recite it today. Millions of people around this world gathered in cathedrals and churches and chapels will recite this creed today. So we're invited into that community as we profess it. So it's an invitation to an explore. It's an invitation into the community. And so Laura brought up this Lynn Sweet quote that I find really instructive here. That in this community, and it's not just when we recite the creed, but it is this act of gathering together, this act of studying together, this act of taking communion together, this act of singing together, this act of working together, going and sharing meals with Circle and being an ally for them and going and working at Seven Hills and going into our businesses and going into our classrooms and our online presence. We are, we are invited into this greater community than just a me and Jesus faith. And Lynn Sweet says this, he says, when Jesus is only filtered through your singular experience and perspective, what comes forth is very anemic, is a very anemic and defensive Jesus. We've got to have the feedback loop of others. We have to have it for our health. That's one of the reasons why we prepare our messages here this morning. The message that I'm, I'm presenting to you was formed as part of a community part of a team. We looked at this together with that. So that's an invitation, right, is to examine and for community with that. But the last thing is they serve as guardrails. Like, like the creed, and, the, and I say the creeds plural because we chose the Nicene out of simplicity, but there are different creeds around. And if you think that this is something new, this is something that started, I want you to listen to... Uh, I want you to listen to this passage from Colossians, if I can find it here. So this is Colossians 1. Colossians is one of the earliest books that was written in the New Testament. And this is from what Paul is writing, and he includes this, starting at verse 15. And if you're reading in your Bible, you'll notice that these words are offset. They're not just in regular format, but they're, they're formatted differently. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in him. Sound like something we just read. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as in the as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become the first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now, those are words written in our Bible, but they were actually a psalm or a creed. 
Those words were sung, chanted, repeated by the church. Even the earliest followers of Jesus had something like a creed to anchor them and invite them and serve as guardrails. So this is not a new thing we're doing. This is not something that we've just invented doing. No, this is a practice that has been done by the church since the very beginning with that. And that's why we do this. Now, here's the thing about it. What happens if you don't believe it? What happens if you if you read these words and you go, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know if I understand that. I don't know if I can comprehend that. I don't know if that's, that's really true. My experience might tell me something different, try to get me to believe something different. What I want to say is that's okay. Um, I loved what uh, another illustration Laura brought up this week. She said the creeds are kind of like when you're in junior high and you write the description of, the, of what your spouse is going to be, who your spouse is going to be. You know, you write out this description of like, oh, I want him to be like this, and he's going to have this color eye and do this, or she's going to look like this, and she's going to wear this, and she's going to be like this, right? When you're in junior high and you're just starting to think about having a partner, and you write out this detailed description, and it's, the thing is, you have no idea what you're talking about. You literally have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, yeah, there are elements of truth, there are elements of desire and elements of things like that in it. But it's something aspirational. The creed is a lot like that. In the sense that it is both reflective of our reality as best we understand it, but it's also aspirational. It calls us to believe into it. Like if you read that Colossians portion again that I just read, I can imagine that early church going, wow. I mean, this is some pretty heady language. Creator of all things, all things are sustained by him and for him to be the firstborn of all creation, that God has invested his full deity into Jesus so that Jesus might reconcile the entire world. Whoa, hold on. That's a little much, <laughs> right? Like, can't we just agree he was a good guy and had a nice sermon? No, it's like... It calls us into believing something far beyond what we naturally would come up with. Or what we would naturally maybe even settle for. So we confess it even if we don't fully believe it. We confess it and repeat it even if we don't fully understand it. And I doubt we ever will. Y'all, I, I can read the words... I can look up the definitions. I can discuss the concepts. But I'm here to tell you, I guarantee you, I don't fully understand what I'm saying. I don't fully understand all the implications of what is there. But I can say it faithfully, both as a prayer, a confession of what I believe, and a confession of what I want to believe. A confession of what I want to know with that. And that's part of that invitation, right? Is to call us back 
but through the creed to experience God. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to receive it in the, in the spirit that it's given. This is not another have to. This is not another work. Does it take effort? Yes. But it's not, it's not a work to do. It's not something that we achieve and we check off and we say, I've got it. It's something very different than that. And the hope, the hope in it is that we are wanted more than we want. Jürgen Moltmann, one of my favorite theologians, he says this, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. He says, the ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found in all that we want, wish for, and wait for. The ultimate reason for our hope is that we are wanted, wished for, and waited for. That's the invitation of the creed, is that what we are professing all of a sudden turns around and we realize we are the professed. That while we are seeking to believe in someone or something, we are believed in. While we are seeking to love something or someone, we are loved. We are believed in. We are loved. We are hoped for, wanted, and waited for. So with that, I, would, I invite you to confess this with me this morning. Do you have your copies? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. I want to invite us now to the table. I want to invite us now to reflect upon this. Um, this is a time to say things, to pray things. We all know what's going to happen when we leave this space. The world is going to come rushing back at us. If there's something that you need to remember or do, write it down right now. Tell someone about it.
don't let it escape you. And then come to the table. Um, again, I don't want to keep bragging on Jennifer, but when she talked about the process of fermentation, that you have to crush something for it. Well, we experience that with the breaking of the bread, the crushing of the grape to make the juice. That these things are necessary and give us life even out of brokenness. And so as you take these things this morning, and this table is open to everyone, remember what has been broken and crushed so that you might live, that you might flourish. Another part of our confession is that we believe that that brings life to us and not just to us, but to the world. And thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.